0: We as men need to understand our sexual energy is the most potent life force that we're given. If you think about what sexual energy is, it creates life. Sexual energy is magnetism. Sexual energy is where we become our most creative, our most inspiring. Let me drop one more aspirational thing for you here. That 11-month period where I did no sex, no porn, no masturbation. Coming off of two decades of like, you know, committed two to five times a day of all that stuff. What ended up happening during that period of time when I had no outlet for that energy and I had to, I had to like let it build? That was when I built the courage and the boldness to decide to leave a 15 year career in financial services.
1: Hello and welcome to today's episode with Dominic Cortuccio. This episode is probably the most personal that I've ever gone on the podcast. We dive into my own experience and Dominic's uh, a lot talking about sex. And why I say that is, you know, I wouldn't have kids around for this episode and just giving you a fair warning of what is ahead. So let's dive into the guest. Dominic Gortuccio is an international speaker, author, and executive coach to high performing individuals and businesses, specializing in personal change and short circuiting burnout. Dominic is also a men's coach and host of the incredible podcast, The Great Man Within, which covers all things related to men's health, men's mental health, sex, purpose, and relationships. Guys and gals, this is a juicy episode, and I'm just going to get right to it. So without further ado, the one, the only Dominic Cortuccio. Dominic, what a pleasure to have you on the show. It seems like not very long ago, we were uh, working on your incredible TED Talk, uh, and here we are today. So many things I could ask you about. The first thing I wanted to ask you is I love how it says on your website, you left a career in financial services services after 15 years, yeah. not to escape the rat race. You actually enjoyed and loved what you did, but because you had a deeper calling, can you give us a snapshot into your life at that point and what that shift was, what that calling was?
0: Great question, Jake. And you know, it's it's interesting you asked this question on this day because tomorrow is the five-year anniversary of me walking away from my 5,370 days at the same company with Prudential Financial, which is, you know, a Fortune 70, Fortune 50 company, depending on the day. Yeah. um, In the entrepreneurial world, there's a lot of hatred for the corporate experience. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about how it's in the matrix and uh, and people are slaves to their profession and farms of cubicles and Listen, like I certainly have felt the pains and the constrictions of living, you know, that life and th- you know there's certain realities to that, but there're also a lot of great people who are there. There're also, you know, a lot of businesses that are doing great work in this world that, you know, provide the backbone of our economies and people allowing people to live a certain lifestyle. And for those 15 years when I was in financial services, what it provided for me was it taught me how the business world worked. Prudential was an amazing company for me to work for because they invested in my personal development. They hired coaches for me. They exposed me to workshops like Strategic Coach, which is primarily for entrepreneurs, but teaching me how to live a balanced lifestyle of both performance and also like beating burnout. Um, they gave me opportunities to to move up the ranks and spread my wings and be creative like an entrepreneur. Mm. All that said... You know, one of my seminal moments was when I turned 30 years old. This was in 2010 and I was the youngest like salesperson in the company by a decade and a half. So I was doing a pretty big job. I was fortunate enough to get get that opportunity. And I, I crushed my sales, my sales year that year, 2009 was the year that I crushed my sales goal. I tripled my sales goal. I was number one in the company at an early age and I made more money in any year of my life, even to this point today. Wow. And it it opened so many doors for me. And I hit this kind of pinnacle way earlier than I expected. And while I was proud of myself, while it did make certain things more comfortable and gave me more options, a lot of those feelings were transient and it left me feeling like, that's it. Like this is as good as it gets. You know, I kind of, I kind of like was under this illusion that once I hit that state, I'd be in this perpetual state of Narnia, you know, like this blissful, here we are. And, and, you know, like just that it didn't turn out that way. And so it scared me to think about what are the next 30 or 40 years going to be like, if this is as good as it gets, and I'm not going to have this year every year. And that That was scary because I didn't know where to seek answers to those questions. I certainly didn't have deep relationships that could like kind of, or mentors in my life that could point me in the right direction. Everyone seemed to be kind of doing the same thing, but it cracked open um, a new curiosity, which led me down the path of personal development, started reading like the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, took my first landmark personal development course, read a few other books, took some other personal development courses, hired a coach and I'll pause there, but it kind of was like the snowball rolling down the mountain that started picking up speed and steam that eventually led five years ago to me leaving and saying, My purpose here has been fulfilled. These 15 years, this chapter, I did well. I rocked it. I gave like this, this, my heart and soul. They gave me their best too. And now it's time to put a bow on that and walk a new path.
1: Mm. I love that. And in terms of the shift into men's work and men's sexuality, I know you talked about going through a challenging time with a woman you were in love with and your journey with sex addiction. Uh, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what that kind of crux point that led you onto this
0: path that you're on now. December 28th, 2012, Boulder, Colorado was the day my life changed. (laughs) To the <laughs> yeah it was um it was the first vacation that the woman who i had fallen in love with the first woman in my life i think it was 34 or something like that who had actually found a way to drill past the iron shield of my heart and to actually like allow me to feel something that I never thought I was capable of. I'd heard, I'd heard songs sung about love. I'd seen movies, you know, where like I saw tales of love and romance and on some level, like I knew what that felt like or thought it felt like, but I'd never experienced it myself. Here was a woman who I started dating for a few months that actually like got past that inner wall and made me feel things I'd never felt before. So we flew out to Colorado together to spend the new year, go skiing. Our first stop was in Boulder. And after we get off our flight, we check into the St. Julian Hotel and I go in to take a shower to clean up. I come out of the bathroom and she's standing right in front of the bathroom door. Her face is pale and she's holding my cell phone and she throws it at me and then runs out of the room. And when I looked at the cell phone, she had had it opened to a string of text messages with another woman that were as painful, as salacious, you know, sexual pictures, stories, fantasies, things that we wanted to do, things that we had done. And I was exposed. I was mm-hmm. discovered. And what um, what ended up happening as like a lifeline in that moment to try and save the relationship was when she came back into the room, I said, I've got a problem. This was something that like I'd kind of known on some level, right? I'd done research on sex addiction. I'd taken quizzes online. I'd wondered, I'd never taken the step to like get help or do anything. But I, to save the relationship, I said, as soon as we get back from this trip, I'm going to 12 step meetings, I'm hiring a therapist, like I'm going to do the work, but it was more to save the relationship than it really was to, to work Mm. on me, you know, and there's so many different directions I can go but like if you'd be open to it, I think it would be really helpful for your listeners many of whom don't have sexual addiction or don't have sexual compulsion but could learn quite a bit and probably relate quite a bit to my story of like what makes a sex addict like what's the making yeah. like what are the ingredients that, that that lead someone there I think maybe that might be helpful.
1: Yeah, like a brief. That was what I wanted to ask you: is like, what is sex addiction? Like, at least the basic, and how does that manifest? Yeah, even if it's not necessarily like sex itself.
0: Okay. So sense. it's a great question to ask. So, like, in your mind, you know, if you if you think about like what an alcoholic is, you may have a picture of that. Mm-hmm. Um, if I ask you what is a drug addict, you may have a wide variety of pictures. You may have like someone who's like stuck in the streets, kind of shooting up and lost everything. You may even see someone who's high-functioning drug addict, right? Who's like a, a Wall Street financier who's doing coke between meetings, these kinds of things. Like we, we have like pretty solid and understanding images. What do you picture when you see, when you think of a sex addict? Yeah,
1: for me, I just see someone who is always having sex. I mean, like the first person that comes to mind is Russell Brandt. Uh, just, yep. you know, yep. affair after affair after affair, whether that's – um behind like, um, not like what, even if you're in a relationship, you're cheating on your partner and, or you're single and just affair after affair.
0: Right. Uh, so he's like a very readily available example. You got a tiger woods, you know, who is like, he got caught obviously with porn stars and while he was in a marriage. Um, but then you also have the spectrum of sex offenders, right? You have people with trench coats going to, you know, Uh, playgrounds and exposing themselves you have uh, you know abusers, sexual offenders and there's a lot of stigma around sex addiction because you don't quite know what you're dealing with Mm -hmm. and so there's there's a huge and they they have three different categories of sex addiction like violent offenders all the way down to someone who's like maybe like unable to control their porn use right Mm -hmm. and it like it gets in the way of their lives and they become consumed with it there's also a lot of question around whether sex addiction is an actual thing. Some so there's a lot of research and science that um, kind of comes up against, it's not actually an addiction, long story short. Um, I think the way you can define sexual addiction is when someone's compulsive behaviors have got in the way of their lives so that they can't function um, fully with their own capacity and choice.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The way that manifested in my life was I had a woman who I loved and I wanted to main, remain faithful to her. I loved her. As my love deepened with her, the ironic thing was the closer she got to me, the more scared I became. And my coping mechanisms throughout my entire life was masturbation, porn, sexting women, fantasies with women. So the closer she came to me, the greater the urge and desire was to step out on her. Mm-hmm. It was, and, and most people can't understand that because – the like the making of a sex addict was, I grew up in a Catholic household where sex it was taboo. You know, like sitting in in like you know on a Friday night watching a movie with my family. You know, I wasn't allowed to watch like MTV. I wasn't allowed to watch rated R movies. If there was like two people kissing on the screen, my parents would lunge across the couch and try to cover my eyes and be like, "No, don't watch that." And the collective sphincter of the room would tighten mm-hmm. and. I would sit there and be like, well, I wanted to see that. There was this physiological reaction in my body of excitement. And then the dark cloud in the room of, but that's wrong or bad, creates this mixed message that I know like a lot of your listeners could probably relate to. Add on seven years of Catholic school, altar boy. And my experience was, if you have sex premaritally, or you think about sex, or if you masturbate, then you're going to hell. Like These are sins. You're bad. But when I discovered something like masturbation, like at age 13 or 14, it was single-handedly the greatest thing I've ever, like I've ever come across in my life. And I also found that it was a tremendous escape for all my anxieties, fears, frustrations, nerves, social anxieties. So I just started pulling on that crank, you know, three or four times a day, every day. And I created a public and a private Dominic. Right, the like the secret, shameful Dominic that was doing these things that felt really good, but that were maybe punishable in my household and also punishable by hell. Um, and so I created that life that helped me to medicate, to navigate the stresses of my life, and then there was the public Dominic that everyone, you know, like liked and praised. And those two tracks defined my life. And as I grew older, those two tracks became further and further apart from one another. I became better and better at hiding them, or so I thought, uh, until like the gap became too big. And that's when I ended up being discovered. Um, and thank God I was, because that was the day that the old bifurcated Dominic died. And a new integrated singular Dominic was born that allowed me to take real responsibility for my life, but also to heal so many of these wounds that, um, that I didn't even know I had.
1: Yeah. And what I find so fascinating about that, and thank you for the thorough explanation, because it does give insight. You're right. It is such a broad term, um, is we think like sex addiction, or at least I could say, I think sex addiction or any sort of compulsive, you know, habit or addiction, whether it's sex or something else, we have like a preconceived notion. It was like a deep wound for you. And it took this kind of, monumental, life-shaking moment for you to realize, oh, there's like an issue here. You work with men from, sure, from all different walks of life. You've worked with tons of men at this point. What do you see as the like blocks to intimacy for men or like getting, Mm. they have this compulsion driving them. How can a man identify that? Because it's essentially making the unconscious conscious. Yeah. Question. Uh not an easy one.
0: (laughs) I do it. I love it. I love this because I've had a number of public forum discussions. I did a clubhouse on this recently where we have to really dig into how did a man learn about sex? Like what were his earliest experiences where he started to experience his sexuality? What did he learn from his faith or not having a faith? You know, I told you my, my Catholic faith. What did he learn from his family? What did he learn from his friends? Faith, family, friends are the three big influences. And then we can add porn right mm. so faith family friends and porn so to understand men's intimacy blocks we have to understand what he's learned along the way and you know one of the ways that i like to ask about that is i did this non highly scientific survey of 50 men age ranges i think it was like 24 to 50 around how did you, what was your first experience like masturbating and yeah, how I old were you? That.
1: I will never you, yeah, were, it's clear. I was 13 years old and I like remember the day. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know this is, is possible.
0: Exactly. And think about that. Like, think of how many boys discover this thing not knowing what the hell just happened. My experience was like my parents left the movie that my parents never left a radar movie at home, but they left White Men Can't Jump, which <laughs> is Wesley Snipes, Woody Harrelson, and a God bless her, Rosie Perez. She, she, this woman will never know, like her impact on my sexual life. But like, there was a sex scene. I just kept rewinding, fast forward, like rewinding, playing, rewinding, playing. I was wearing these blue sweatpants, had a boner in the sweatpants, and then bang, like it. You know, are now we're off to the races, um, and it was the greatest feeling I'd ever experienced. When I surveyed these fifty guys, there was the the the. I think the eighty percent of the men discovered masturbation between the ages of 10 to 13. Almost all of them had no idea what had just happened, right? And a few of them had actually been guided by by people that shouldn't have, right? Like older, like siblings or cousins or friends or or things like this. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And some of it like actually fell into the category of sexual abuse. One of the questions, this was one of the more fascinating parts, Jake. That I asked was, "What was the one word that described that first experience?" And I took those one-word answers and I put them in a word cloud. And the word cloud, as you might imagine, was kind of like like a symphony of, "Wow, awesome, amazing, explosive, life changing," you know. But then I asked them, like, "Okay, what was another word?" And then I asked them it a third time, "What was another word?" And when we got to the third word. This is where this story got really interesting. Words like guilt, shame, punishment, uh-oh, wow. those kinds of words started to come up. So what, what you saw is the first experience was kind of like, whoa, this was my unfiltered, unjudgmented, unjudgmental, whoa, this is what I experienced. And then the third word, it was their processing, their meaning-making And that lent a lot of insight to the level of education or what was available, like sex had been painted in dark strokes for so many of these men. So when we talk about the barriers to intimacy, it's where do guys learn about this stuff? We Mm -hmm. learn about it as as infants or teenagers. And I've even talked about this. Like, I masturbated thousands of times before I came (laughs) into contact with another human being at age 18. Like privately in the in the bathroom trying to be as quiet as possible. you know like a lot of guys learn how to do it as fast as possible so like they don't get discovered. and it's all selfish because like you're not considering with another partner and then you do that thousands of times. and now when you actually engage with another human being, you're supposed to know how to breathe with them. you're supposed to know how to communicate. you're supposed to know how to read their nonverbals. you're supposed to know how to create a safe space for them or how to touch them in places that like feel good. Of course, it's a disaster. Yeah, it's a disaster. So, and and we're surprised when this stuff happens. So, those are many of the like I I always take men back, and I also like to you know when women or who however you identify take you back to the beginning stages of your life, and it's like what did your faith, what did your family, what did your friends, and what did porn teach you about what's what sexuality is, and how have you absorbed that consciously and unconsciously along the way.
1: Yeah. It's so fascinating. And I love that family, friends, faith, and porn, the three F's and the P Uh, (laughs) is because I've, I've found myself as a, do you know, Alana Pratt, by the way, I'm having her on the show next week. She's an intimacy, uh, sex and relationships expert. Uh, She's, I feel like you guys would just know each other, but um, I'm like noticing, you know, I go through like phases of my life of different curiosities and I'm in a point now where I'm just like questioning my story around my dating life, my story around relationships. And because like, dude, my life is normal for me because this is just what I know. And yes. so I've been having trouble like going back and identifying, oh, like I don't, I'm not even aware of my view because it's just my view, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Like, I'm starting to question it. And like one of the things that I've been sitting with is I've never been in a long-term relationship. And uh I talked about it with my friend and it's like I'm attracted to women or like I've I should say I've up to this point, I've a lot of the time been attracted to women who are like emotionally unavailable and kind of wild and I love that. And then yep. the, the women I meet who are like really like emo- spiritually, emotionally, like intellectually stimulating, who I can like, wow, I would love to just like I'm like, uh, ah, I'm not they interested. don't turn you on. They don't turn oh, you on. Yeah. And yep, so I'm it. like realizing this, but I, you know, and so I'm starting to ask the questions, but I think what you said. Is getting me to think deeper of like okay like what is my relationship that I've had with my friends, family, religion, and porn? So I'm gonna I know what I'm doing right after this podcast a little uh, journal sesh. <laughs> Curious for you though, like in terms of that shift, like you had that realization, you've been doing the work. How have you like quote unquote healed that wound? And I know it's it's not something that you just do once and it's done. I'm sure it's a continual practice. But like, how have you? learned how to like transmute that desire into um something healthier
0: this is this is a, a multi-stage part of my journey i mean the first part of it was for for 4 years right like like when i got back from that colorado trip true to form i went right into 12 step sex addicts anonymous meetings i hired a thera- sex addiction therapist and i went to group sex addiction therapy And for four years, I walked that path, you know, going religiously to Sunday morning meetings, steps on a Sunday morning. And the first two years of that journey were really about like digging into these things like the past, like, you know, you have to write it, it, you know, you go back and you do this chronology of your sexual history and there's workbooks that they give you. And then you start to look at like all of your character defects and the things that you haven't taken responsibility for yet. And really dig in deep, look at these troubling behaviors, these compulsive behaviors. At the time, for me, it was um it, this thing called intriguing with women in committed relationships. So, like flirting with women who were unavailable. And the reason why I ended up going for those women, even though I knew there was wrong, it was like it gave me kind of like this necessary out. Like I didn't, like, like I knew that they could never pursue me fully because they were already in a relationship. Really, it created this natural barrier Uh, and in a way it's keeping
1: you safe
0: yeah exactly exactly it was my own like and I had this pattern of always dating women across the country or dating women who were too old for me you know like there was always this natural like I had this emergency escape mechanism there's always a reason to get out before like before even things started Mm -hmm. so for those two years it was really about like shining a light on all the areas that I've been unconscious and when I started to and during that process, I took 11, for those four years, Jake, I did no masturbation, no porn.
1: Yeah. I got to ask you about, continue, but we're going to bookmark because I wanted to ask you about that.
0: Yeah. Like, and and, and that's that, like there, there's extraordinary insight there for four of those, for, for four years, no masturbation, no porn during 11 month period in that, in that four year period, I did no sex at all. So 11 months, no porn, no masturbation, no sex, just like, like all that sexual energy in my body coming from a guy who spent, you know, decades, two to five times a day ejaculating, right? Wow. So,
1: and what age were you? What was that four year window? That was,
0: so it was 2013 to 17. So, what is this, like five years? I mean, sort of been like 30, 30, 33 to 37, 34 to 37. Wow. Okay. And, and, and what that did was it, it, it broke. Like these patterns of anytime I'd be overwhelmed or stressed out, I'd have a work project that like was you know deadline, or I'd be on a Sunday night feeling lonely, like those were my prime times to jerk off or look at porn or sexed women. And now those things were removed from me. Mm-hmm. And I had to navigate those uncomfortable emotions. The fuck sorry, I don't know if like I can dude Cosbro. Yeah, oh, that's right, it. that's right. <laughs> that, like the, I fucking felt like a shook up bottle of Coca-Cola inside of me at times. And I didn't have some of these techniques like breath work to circulate the energy. I was just like, you know, white knuckling. And eventually, like start some of the new behavior started to take hold and I had more control. But the second stage of the journey, and I'll hit this quickly, is I plateaued in Sex Addicts Anonymous because all of my sexual, my sex life was viewed through a pathological lens, it, meaning like I'm a sex addict. I had to affirm every day that I was a sex addict. I took on this identity that for the rest of my life I was a sex addict, and that there was this broken part of me. And you'll hear people in Sex Addicts Anonymous personify. There's this disease inside of me, and this disease does this to me, and this disease sabotages me. And to some degree, I always felt like, like at any moment, I was a ticking time bomb. And then when I looked around the rooms of Sex Addicts Anonymous, I was like, I don't see a single person in here who's healed their relationship with sex. I don't see a single person in here whose sexuality I would want for myself that has seemed to integrate in this beautiful, loving way. And yet, I have so many friends who are in these sex positive communities who have like amazing, loving relationships, full self expression. Why can't that be possible for me? And when I started to set that as a new vision for myself and I hired the coaches, did the work, um, put the right support system in. That's when um, I left Sex Addicts Anonymous, did a lot of like psychedelic work, did a lot of introspective work, meditation, breath work, David Dada work, all that stuff. Now my sexual energy is some of the most potent life force that I harness and use to create and fuck this world with my power. And and bring that fuck energy to the world, to the to the men in my community, to what I'm building, to the women who need, you know, like strong masculine support versus just dumping it into a Kleenex. Yeah. You know, and that's different.
1: Yeah. And in terms of uh I, I love that. Bring that fuck energy world from a place of love, of course. Um, yes. Um, so and the reason I'm asking, and like I've noticed this too. I've realized so I like lost my sex drive for like probably like six, seven months with uh, my journey with Lyme disease. It's a very strange thing when you're Mm. like 23 and you know you're just like not horny. Uh, Yeah, wow. What's that like? uh, My friends (laughs) are like, wow, that's kind of sounds nice. I'm like, it's weird. It's like I almost didn't miss it in the time, but then I started kind of feeling better and like kind of just went on a bit of a tear, uh, you know, just going on a lot. Like January for me was. I just felt like I needed to cool it. I was going on tons of different dates, but also this period of 12 to 4 PM for me, pretty much every day I have fatigue. And what I noticed, I got in this bad cycle of like masturbating during that period, because it was an escape from the pain for
0: me, Um, but
1: it, it didn't feel healthy. Like, and this is where I know when, when something just doesn't feel right. And man, like I fucking struggle with it, dude, because I'm like, I just sit here and like, I don't even have the energy to read. The only thing I I really do up until this point is podcasts and I try and take naps. It's hard for me. This is a long winded uh, way of saying, what do you do when the urge comes up? And how do you like, um, cause like uh, you, you've done it, bro. Like 11 months, four years, like that's a level of discipline, which I have absolute respect for. And it's like, what do you do when that urge comes up?
0: Yeah. Uh, the first thing that I think is super helpful is if you can start to look at the urge and and experience it as like, this is your testing ground to build extraordinary inner fortitude and capacity to handle any life situation, right? Like I know you're a man who's like deep into personal development. And so every day you have this like beautiful built-in test. You know how you know, like obviously like women who are in their cycle years have this beautiful built-in like initiatory cycle right every 28 days or so where they they get to stop and look at like what their bodies are telling them and to to tap their deeper inner wisdom so our version of that is like okay you've got this like massive sexual urge that comes up and instead of looking at it as a problem it's like okay now I get to step in the ring like I might with a, you know, if I'm boxing somebody like and there's a great test or if I'm going to the gym, today's like a big workout day. And I don't know, you know, so to look at it that way, first and foremost, mm-hmm. and to recognize that every day you now have a, an opportunity to expand your mental, emotional, spiritual capacity. That's number one. Number two is, you know, what was cool about before we started this podcast was we sat down and did six intentional breaths right to ground you in the moment one of the reasons why we as men get overwhelmed by our sexual energy is because like we don't know how to harness and circulate that energy it's experienced like an urge it's almost like an emergency system and we want to just get it out of us because then that would like feel relaxing right yeah. and and like the stress so When you feel that sexual energy, it tends to accumulate in certain parts of your body doing breath work, like what what we did before the show. And if you go to like David Dada or, you know, Montauk Chia, who wrote The Multi-Argasmic Man, like they, you know, they have these tips. You go on YouTube, you know, breath work for circulating masculine sexual energy. You can then start to work on taking that energy and then bringing it into other body parts. It's not going to be easy right away. You may have like weeks where like you don't notice a difference, but over time with practice, you will be able to harness that energy. And here's the thing, Jake, we as men need to understand our sexual energy is the most potent life force that we're given. If you think about what sexual energy is, it creates life. Sexual energy is magnetism. Sexual energy is where we become our most creative, our most inspiring. Let me drop one more aspirational thing for you here. That 11 month period where I did no sex, no porn, no masturbation, coming off of two decades of like, you know, committed two to five times a day of all that stuff. What ended up happening during that period of time when I had no outlet for that energy and I had to, I had to like let it build. That was when I built the courage and the boldness to decide to leave a 15-year career in financial services. Wow. Because when I wasn't dumping that energy, like think of how many times you've done this. It's like, oh my God, I got this idea to build this business or to take this adventure or to go after the woman. And then you're kind of like all excited, but there's almost all that stress too. And then to relieve yourself of all that chaotic energy, you jerk off and then you never do anything about it. Yeah. Well, I had this energy. It had nowhere to go. So I'm like, I got to fucking launch a blog. I got to launch a video. I got to go, you know, build a website. And using that energy, I decided to leave a 15-year lucrative corporate career and have the courage to, to start my own path. And I can't tell you, Jake. If I didn't have that sexual energy harnessed, I can't tell you for sure, for, for certain that I would have had the tenacity or boldness to, to, to disconnect from something that was going really well, that was really comfortable and financially so lucrative.
1: Yeah. Wow. And it makes so much sense because of how much, and like I've become aware of my own like sexuality in that sense of like, and <laughs> this wasn't by choice, but when I was, uh, I published a book a week before my 20th birthday. And from basically 18 to 20, I was like head down, living on my mom's couch and also at my dad's, like dropped out of school, suburban place. Uh, This is like dating apps just come out and like, dude, I was not scoring. Like I, it was just not.
0: uh, How is that possible? You expect me to believe that Jake hasn't been scored on the dating apps? Come on, man, look (laughs) at you.
1: (laughs) Thank you. And I wish uh, you would have told the women that when I was 18 to 20, uh, if they would have seen that (laughs) eye. Long story short is like, I wasn't getting action, but. Dude, I wrote 106,000 words in three months. You know, start, spoke to like over 10,000 people. You know, was getting speaking gigs, landed two TED talks. Like, so I can see that. I think what's interesting is where I'm at in my life now. I definitely. So I've read a little bit of Mantak chia and this is one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Is so, like a month. It was like a month and a half ago. My buddy's like, "Yo, dude, I." We, we talked about our sex life and we're having this conversation he's like yeah I haven't been uh, masturbating and I feel like all this power like great and then I hung out with this woman and uh literally lasted maybe two minutes in bed <laughs> ah. I, you know and so I'm like dude I I love this but like I felt I dude it was super embarrassing I was like sure he was like you know I'm like sorry like wait for a little bit for round two but like I felt dude it sucked like it was embarrassing so if one chooses to do that, A, like how do you last longer in bed? Like what, you know, yes. what would you tell the 20 year old guys in this podcast? Like how to last longer. And then it's like the flip side. Cause I feel the desire to do the practices you're saying, like, and like, if I'm being totally honest, the main desire is like, how do I last longer in bed? Totally. Like to this point in my yeah. life, you know?
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. Let's, let's, let's hit that. And just so you know, during that 11 month period where, you know, I did none of those things, I, I did make out with two different women, both where I came in my pants, like once my yeah. hand went over the breath, like over the because, like you know, like like the, that's makes all. You feel it It's so much
1: better, dude. Because I've had yeah. that happen. That happened when I was thirteen.
0: Yeah, and I was thirty-five. Okay, so like, <laughs> you know, and there was, and and, and I do want to talk about like how to be able to communicate that when that happens with a woman, because like these are situations that. Um that don't that that actually don't need to involve shame. They can be beautiful moments of connection. But let's first talk about like well the the like the main crux of your question is how do I last longer, right? Yeah, um, you practice, you play, you practice like you play, right? and mm. so when when we, we we go back to the origins of how most guys learn how to practice sex, it's masturbation, and you're trying to keep it a secret in your home. so you're jerking off fast and quiet and and so you build this, uh, this the, the, this habit of my dick gets hard. I'm gonna jerk off as fast as I can, and then I just let it go as soon as I feel myself coming to that edge, and I just let it go over and over and over again. So if you have thousands of repetitions doing that, and then you're with a woman or you're with a you know a partner, um, what do you expect to have happen? So one of the things that you know Mantak Chia and John Wineland and David Data like we'll all talk about is like during your masturbatory practice, it's like set the intention that like, I'm gonna masturbate for 20 minutes, you know? like And I'm going to stroke myself every time that I get myself to the edge called edging, right? Like Mm -hmm. that edge, instead of allowing yourself to go over, bring yourself to the edge and then use some of these breathing techniques, stop the stroking, or use some of these breathing techniques to circulate the energy and then get back at it. Bring yourself back to the edge again and then get back at it. And when you start to practice this way, it's going to, it's going to require some discipline and some, you know, some vigilance around that. And you're going to want to tip over, but the more and more that you can start to fall in love with the process of like feeling that sexual energy versus racing towards the outcome of ejaculation.
1: Mm-hmm. Like the journey over the destination, essentially.
0: Hundred, like, and Jake, you can't overestimate, like, you cannot overstate the importance of that, because your partners, especially when we're talking with women, because I, I don't, I don't know what same sex situations are like, but you know, many women will tell you it takes a lot longer for them to get warmed up than it does for a man, and most times men are finishing right when they're getting started, and it's disappointing. And for the men who can learn how to circulate their breath and how to edge and know when to pull back and stop. Like this happens all the time for me. I, I just had a, a woman who I've been dating. I haven't seen her in four months. We were supposed to spend the new year together. She got COVID. I haven't seen her in like four months. She, and I, yeah, I haven't had sex in a long time. She came here. And of course, as soon as like we have intercourse, I can start to feel like like if if I stroke too fast, I'm going to pop off. It's going to be over. Yep. And I don't have the same kind of resiliency as a 24-year-old where it takes me three minutes back in the day. Like it takes me much longer now. Uh-huh. So I've learned to even communicate with her. It's kind of like, hey, you know, like I'm going to work up. I need to get, you know, I need to get used to your, your your body feels so great right now. I'm on the edge. Let me circulate my breathing. And Jake, I will tell you, man, like if you can slow it down, your body starts to get used to it, and then you can start to let it rip. Like you can start to go harder, faster, and you have more control over. It, but it all starts in your practice. Interesting. I mean,
1: that makes so much sense. You know, it's just a, the same application in your sexual life to everything else. You practice how you play, you play how you practice. Um, want to touch back real quick in terms, like, how do you how did you navigate those situations? Like, you know, it's like, oh it's been two minutes. Uh, sorry. Like, cause dude, I felt so much shame and like, granted, again, this is where like this, maybe a part of me is like safety. I'm like, Oh, this is a girl I wasn't that into. It was like, you know, a fun thing. She was wild, like classic Jake attraction (laughs) dating life. But like, yeah. how, How would you navigate that situation? Um, now with like grace?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, actually, this is, this is interesting. Most recently, I posted something on Instagram, it was like 3 or 4 posts ago where it says ejaculation is not the universal sign for the end of sex. <laughs> okay? And it was, nope. it, was, it was it was and, and you, I can't tell you how many women came on and went ballistic and cheered for that. And you know, like there's there's plenty of other things that do not involve your dick, you know, that like can demonstrate to a partner that like you're there for their sexual satisfaction as well. So Like a part, first the first things first is I understand the shame that can come from that. I've been in that situation where I popped off too quickly. I've also been in situations where my dick just hasn't gotten up, and the the first few times that those happened, I felt an extraordinary amount of shame. I also felt judgment from my partner. You know, like I've I've had women say, "What's wrong? This has never happened to me before." And what I've come to learn in my conversations with these other women is that. They think that they're maybe a part of the problem. Um, you know. So they, they take it personally, even though it has nothing to do with them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In your situation, let's get specific about this. So she's getting warmed up. Um, things are going well. And then bang, like you come. There's an opportunity to kind of like, you know, to, to pause and to look at her. And you can even make a joke about it. It's like, well, I didn't expect that to happen. You know, like, that's not what I was planning for. And, and then to sit back and say, so it's going to take a little while, maybe for <laughs> him to come back online. Um, and I'm here for you. What would feel, like, what would feel really good for you right now? I still happen to have lips. I have a tongue. I've got fingers. Do you have a toy that you like to use? Maybe I'll massage your breasts. You know, like, what can we do to keep this pleasure going for you? And, you know, maybe I'll come back online. Maybe I won't, but like, let's, let's make sure that, that like that you get yours. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'll, I'll send you the link to that, in, to, to that um, Instagram post, because I put a few different ways of how to handle that, I think on there. And 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 you'll see the women's responses where they're just like, yeah, if you ejaculate too quickly, okay. You know, and if you show concern for my sexual pleasure, then I would respect you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I'll link to that post by the way. And that makes sense. I think the thing that I'm personally grappling with is, and I think part of the reason, like when I am seeing a partner, it's like, right, I get stamina. So after the first few times we sleep together, like it's not, you know, 30 second two pump chump as they call it. But uh, yeah. you know, like when it is early in the stages and I was like, dude, I was not um masturbating. So it was like I had masturbated for a week and then it happened. So how do you like tell her that and maybe you've already answered it but like what's the balance between not masturbating but then you have like cuz for me if my system gets activated it's like dude we're going like yeah. you know
0: yes well so first of this so, <laughs> there's a strategy among guys of not going out with a loaded gun right like and so that like, yeah, there's clean the guy, pipes right? that's what they clean <laughs> the, Okay you say clean the pipes don't go out with a loaded gun and i understand the sentiment of that but <sighs> That's not a long-term solution. Like, I don't see that as a long-term solution. Like, ultimately, like we we want to be harnessing
1: yes, our sexual that's what I energy.
0: Want. You want that exactly. I don't
1: want to have the clean the pipes is like my go-to, which
0: currently before the date, that's what I'm doing. You know, exactly. And 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 like, if you can go with like full, like pipes full, you'll be able to feel her and like all the small things, like the scent of her skin, the touch of her hair. You know, like all these things will be like electrified. So you want to learn how to, 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 to build up to that. Now, like in the situation that you were just in with her, um, like, I, I, like my personal guidance would be, you let her know, like you let her know what, what you're working on, what you're doing. It's like, listen, I haven't masturbated in seven days. My gut, my, I'm, 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 I'm on tilt right now. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I'd like to do is maybe go slow. And I'm going to be really sensitive to the touch. So, you know, let's both of us kind of like play with that dynamic and energy. So that's going to require leadership on your part, Jake, Mm -hmm. like self-awareness and leadership um, and confidence to be able to communicate that. Mm -hmm. And what I have found with women, again, because like that's all my experience, is a man who's able to communicate that and to lead and to be aware of where he is and, and to communicate that it's also in desire to stay with her she's blown away you know mm-hmm. like she's not a, she, she's not she's not used to most women are not used to a guy with that level of awareness or consciousness or even concern about her um so I would bring that to her and I would also start your breath work practice like <laughs> yes. today yeah gotcha <laughs> i
1: I can say that's fully written down um and <laughs> it's funny on that note like I, it's funny cause Taylor, um, you know, Taylor was super into, um, orgasm without ejaculation and yeah. like, dude, I was like 20, 21, 22, 23 when we were together. And I'm like, dude, that sounds like fucking impossible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've tried it like maybe like six times. And like, I'm like, how, and uh because I, I've done studies under Joe Dispenza, I got into his stuff. It's similar to the, um, one of the breath techniques he teaches, like you're pulling your perineum and you're like, sh- you're like clenching your butt and you're shooting the energy up. Yep. So I'm like, okay, I think, you know, I've read about Kegel exercise. I've done like the basic, you know, basic frontier research. Is this just something that I'm like, I need to get realistic and be like, dude, you got to try this for like 30 to 60 days to like get some results. I mean, I'm kind of asking you, cause like there's the broad internet advice and I'm like, okay, what does this like actually take?
0: I I have not trained to the point of being able to separate ejaculation and orgasm. And um and I would like to, but I don't feel like this this driving need to because for me, um, like what I've been practicing, you know, with with like what I've shared with you about, like actually a big part of my masturbation practice these days is masturbating and not ejaculating. Like I ha- I have to I have a lot of joy masturbating without ejaculating. So I actually like bring that sexual energy up. I summon it. And and it, and and it's is enjoyable. And then I circulate it in my body and I'll go work out. I'll circulate in my body and I'll go get creative. So I would say, you know, like that next level stuff that tailors on to, you can certainly set that as a goal. But I think that like where you are at personally, I would say like the first step along your journey is practice like you play, start to masturbate in these longer form sessions. Maybe, I don't know how long you're set. How long would you say your sessions are now when you jerk off? How long does it take? Mm, 10 minutes. So make it 15, make it 20, set a, set a fucking timer, like put it on the, you know, and, and then become aware of where you would normally, like where you would normally let it go mm-hmm. and then go like, I'm going to go a stage or two beyond that, you know? and mm-hmm. then each time when you're when you're in sex you'll see yourself do the same exact thing and you'll be like oh that would have ended right there but now I'm going a bit longer yeah and and when you have that kind of control jake your confidence level goes up your ability to lead in the partnership the way a woman will respond to you and trust you you know it's uh this is like some jedi shit right here yeah it is <laughs> and i
1: dude i appreciate and for everyone listening like <laughs> I have the great man within podcast linked. I've been listening to a ton of your episodes and it's like, it's so nice that you're just fucking so open about it, dude. Like yeah. we all, I mean, every man has a penis or most men have a penis. Uh, like, right. you know, these urges are here for the vast majority of us. We're all doing these things. And yet there's not like that tactical, like, yo, I don't want the skimpy, like, Oh, he brush over it. Like, I want the actual details of like what's going on. So I appreciate you just laying it all out here. Um, I want to ask you, like, okay, where you are now, you've done a lot of deep work in this, um, in this area of your life. And if you were gonna, I- I'm not a big fan of like, what would you change? Because like, I'm sure you love where you are right now. But like, what yep. would be like, if you had to tell yourself three things? Um, and this doesn't have to be limited to sexual health. But just overall, like you're in your 20s, like, hey, these are three things that I would either keep in mind or focus on as you navigate the next decade of your life.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, Number one would be stop lone wolfing your life. Stop lone wolfing your life. And what I mean by that is um, most guys, many guys know the experience of having like a tribe of friends at a younger age and like kind of being a part of something, maybe even going to university if that was part of your journey and being a part of a group of things. A lot of guys never found their group and I get that. But then we kind of get into our 20s and go out into this working world and then you're on your fucking own. And you maybe have drinking buddies and you know kind of have these transient relationships where you never go beyond a few kind of similar, you know, topics around like the woman you're dating, maybe your business, but like no one knows what your inner world is like. Mm and that's why studies happiness studies have shown that the unhappiest person in the world is a 45-year-old man. He's, you know, got like the height of responsibility in his life, the weight of the world on his shoulders and no one knows what the fuck is really going on in his inner world. He's he's dealing with it all on his own. So as a man in your 20s, what I would want what I would have wanted to tell myself is, Dominic, like it's great that you like to read the business books, it's great that you like to, you know, work out and these kinds of things. But let's find relationships in your life where there's depth, where like there are men that are not just your age, but you're learning from men who are older than you, who are doing inner work that can guide you on the journeys of life and what it's like to navigate a career, what it's like to navigate heartbreak, what it's like to have these conversations around sexuality. Stop just learning from people that are your own age, who don't know what the fuck they're doing, and... Stop like kind of going about it on your own. Find your tribe. Find these wise elders. That would be one of the first things I would tell myself. Second thing I would tell myself is, this: this may, some people may dismiss this, but there's some deep wisdom here. Every goal that you ever have set, every action you have ever taken, is because you are seeking some feeling on the inside. And you really need to let that one like penetrate you and get in there. Every action you've ever taken, every goal you've ever set, is because on the inside you think it's going to, you think that action, that goal is going to provide you some feeling that you are seeking consciously or unconsciously. And oftentimes the goals that we set and the actions that we take drive us in 180 degree opposition from what we actually want to feel on the inside. Specific example, tangible example. Um, We wanna feel freedom. And one of the ways that we think we're gonna get freedom is by making a lot of money. So we take on these like huge massive jobs that require 18 hour workdays, seven days a week. And all of a sudden we've imprisoned ourselves, making a lot of money, uh, but we've imprisoned ourselves for decades of our lives. And we feel overwhelmed, shackled, trapped in life we created for self because we thought that the money thing was going to give us the freedom we wanted, but we didn't realize how many dimensions of freedom there actually are. If you can actually like stop setting these goals first and start setting feelings goals, <laughs> like what do I want to feel on a daily basis? What do I want to feel with the people that I interact with? What do I want to feel when I wake up in the morning? What do I want to feel when I go to bed at night? That will be a much better indicator of the actions you take in your life. That, Like if you actually get expert in those feelings, that's where you you will start to live purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Like way more than setting goals that are arbitrary that you may spend a lifetime trying to achieve. And then when you do, you realize, oh, shit, (laughs) it didn't feel like I thought it would. Mm -hmm. That would be the second piece. And then those are the two big pieces of guidance I would have given myself back in the day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. um, The second one really rings a lot of truth and is making me turn the wheels because I can certainly think of so many things in my life where I thought accomplishing X or Y would give me this feeling. And it does maybe for like a day and then it goes, I'm like, shit. Um, But yeah, that, that rings a lot of truth. In terms of women, what is the number one thing you hear from women like, and I know that's kind of a broad thing, but like, what is the thing that they either want from men or like the concern or problem that they're experiencing with men?
0: Wow. There's, <laughs> I, I go into <laughs> a lot laundry of laundry list. Oh yeah, man. Like I, so I get, I, I'm fortunate enough to get invited to a lot of women's groups, women's circles. I've run women's retreats and I, I hear, I hear the spectrum of things. Let me see, like, let me just see which one pops up that is like most relevant now like one of the biggest things that women will say to me over and over again is I see the potential in my man and it kills me that he's not going for it over and over again. And and like, and I see so many of these women who just stay with a guy who's not interested in like tapping his potential for years, just kind of like hoping. And also women who don't know exactly how to speak to him in a way where like he will actually bring it up and bring it Mm -hmm. out as a leader of men um i have a chance to see that there's only so far that i can shake a man up like and wake him up to his full potential um but like he has to be the one who takes that step forward who he has to be the one who owns that responsibility mm-hmm. and i can't force a guy to do that so one of the th- i think the number one thing i'm hearing from women is and, and and when that happens, Jake, if they and 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 that this is where men say, my woman's nagging me. Um, uh, she's not giving me the kind of sex that I want. She's not sexually available. A lot of the the time is because she sees greater potential in him that he is not stepping up to. and that will kill the polarity, the magnetism, the desire for for him. And she also can't trust him. Why would she trust a guy? who's not going for it in his life. <laughs> yes. Wow. So I listened to an
1: interview you did with a uh, Robert. I forget his last he started, Yeah. What was, what did he, he started an orgasmic or. Yeah. O, what is Oming. it? Or, Oming. Oming. Yeah. So, which is orgasmic meditation essentially. Right. Yep. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. One of the things I thought, I mean, this is like similar, but different is someone was like, Hey, uh, I want to talk to my wife about, you know, these other sexual desires I have, but I don't want to rock the relationship. And and his answer was, that's fine. Just accept you have a mediocre relationship. Yes. And that hit home so hard. And he's like, and I'm not saying that from a place of judgment, just accept that that's what your relationship is. It's up to you. Do you want to like, take it to that level? And for me, this always comes back. Um, This has been a huge part of my life. Uh, We actually in business, this is one of our core values at the idea collective. We called it say the thing nice I, nice It's like we all have those things in every type of relationship and domain in our life it's like do you have the courage to say the thing nice I you love know that. um but yeah that, that just made me think of that is because these conversations are fucking scary because the potential of rejection we can take that on as oh there's a part of us that isn't worthy or deserving and it's been a quote unquote affirmed like that at least that's how my mind sometimes work i'm like oh if i ask for it and get denied fuck like it's gonna hurt but the reverse is you're gonna just like for me personally I hate that reverse I would rather get rejected by a girl like um I used to have way more anxiety about like going up to a girl uh in public and I'm like dude I've been rejected by girls so many times asking for their number and it feels fucking amazing <laughs> does it dude, it actually does because I'm like wow like um I've said what I want and like I'm out there and I'm like, wow, I went for it. Like as opposed to like the next day being like, fuck. And I've had this many times too. I'm like, ah, I wish I went up to her. And it's like nags at me for like two days.
0: Yes. Yes. Cause like you, you, like you, like you had control over the the thing that the standard you set was not the outcome. It was, am I going to be true to myself? And my truth was, I'm attracted to this woman. I'm going to go up to her. I'm going to speak to her and release my attachment to it needing to turn out in any way. That's, that's beautiful. And like you can, you can carry that into every, every area of your life. And one more thing I want to offer up here, Jake, that you just reminded me of too is women want their men to develop emotional stamina. And what I mean by that is when, when things get tough, um, when like, say, say this, like the example of bringing a desire to a woman that maybe like, you know, triggers her, it triggers an insecurity in her, um, her last boyfriend did the thing that like, you know, and, and she did that fantasy with the last boyfriend and then he ended up cheating or whatever it is like, you know, triggers. And most guys don't have the stamina to sit in and navigate maybe her emotional tornado. And that emotional tornado may not just be a one-time thing. It may happen in that one conversation and she's not done processing it because it may come up the next day or like the week after. And a guy is like, we just want it to be fucking over, right? Like it's like, (laughs) let's have a 10 minute conversation. Let's resolve it. And when it's over, it's over and you don't have a chance to come back. That's not how it works, Mm -hmm. you know? And, And a guy who can build that emotional stamina to know, but also to set the container for her. So she doesn't spin off her axis either. Like there's a part of this that's like, she doesn't just get to be a tornado all the time. And and like you know and, and go on and on and on forever like there's a like you know there, there's a containment there too, but he's willing to sit in it, and not fix it, not advise it, not solve it, but to just like lit, list, sit there and listen and also just be like, okay, like that's welcome. Thank you for sharing that with me. Let's take some breaths together. Let's let's like dig in deep and what's underneath that because. We're both here because we want to have an amazing sex life. Let's figure out how my desires and your desires, like let's find that common ground. I'm sure that it's there if we can dig deep enough.
1: Mm, I love that. Yeah, it's a good reminder. And because like the masculine brain for me, at least it's just like, okay, X or Y. Like it's for me, I'm just like, make the decision. But it's, uh, I've learned that that's not exactly how everyone thinks, uh, <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> I grew up with two sisters. So you would think I would have learned this by now, but, uh, um,
0: oh, of course not. <laughs> you weren't <different>, paying attention.
1: <laughs> different domains. Exactly. The <laughs> attention's peaked currently. Um, I want to be respectful of time, but the last thing I did want to ask you about is like, you've had the honor of working with so many men and I know we've kind of touched on this, but like, what do you see as like the most fulfilling part of your work when a man finally you know, shares that thing that you can tell has just been holding them down? Like, what is that? I guess, like, what, what do you see is that shift that you see in men from like, yes. fuck, this has been eating at me for seven years and now it's here. Like, what what is that? It's kind of like an open-ended question, but I want you to take it.
0: There's There is a specific moment that I live for with the men that I guide. And it's this moment where the light switch goes on where they suddenly and almost fully realize how they are capable of so much more than they ever thought possible. Like, it's it's almost like the curtain has been, like they've been living behind a curtain and now it opens up and they're in Rockefeller, like the Radio City Music Hall and they just see like like the entire world in front of them that is now at their fingertips and it's scary right it's it's scary it's big it's daunting but it's like a second life is born and when that light switch goes on there is no turning back it is a one way door you know like they they do not revert at that point in time uh, some guys go after it faster than others um, some guys have much deeper work like trauma and all these things to dig through and like, and it all kinds of comes at a different pace and different size and whatever. Um, for some for some men, it's, it's beautiful. It's like, you know, kind of they turn into a butterfly and fly away. Other guys, like, you know, they have to go like Andy Dufresne in Shawshank Redemption. They have to crawl through like the miles of shit mm-hmm. to get to that, like, you know, liberated side. But it's that moment. And I keep using these analogies, but it's like, you know, unplugging from the matrix where like you see yourself as far more capable, as far more deep, as far more bold. And that's why, the, this, this is where, Jake, the whole the whole name of the Great Man Within podcast came from. Like, we all have these two lives, the life we're living now and the unlived life within us. And that unlived life within us is that great man who's within. And we talk about this, this definition of hell is, you know, the last day that you live here on earth, the, the last breath that you take, The man that you became meets the man that you could have become. Oh,
1: yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And then the the man that you became is like when you settled for comfort, safety, predictability, you know, familiarity. But the man you could have become was that great man. Mm. And, And so when I see that man's light turn on, where he recognizes that there's that other guy inside of him that is his full potential. Um, then his life is forever is forever on a different trajectory, and that's that's why I'm here.
1: Oh, dude, I got chills when you started talking because I could I could feel the like reverb of like what you're saying, and it just got me thinking of like, yeah, here's an invitation. Where in my life can I play big or like say the thing that's scaring me because that's the thing that will set me free. And like just hearing you talk about it is just invoking that. Um, is getting me to go within and ask the questions. Dominic, I could talk to you for like two more hours. Um, but dude, thank you so much. Like, I'm literally going to, I don't do this all the time. I'm going to literally listen, uh, start to finish this entire episode. Um, yes. And probably will go back to it multiple times. Um, so I appreciate you showing up and all the work you're doing. It's helping out a lot of people. And where can people find you and connect with you if they want to tune into the podcast, all the things?
0: Yeah, please come and listen to the Great Man Within podcast. It is a, it is a, a show geared towards high performing men who are interested in purpose, masculinity, sex, habits, leadership. Uh, but half of our listeners are people who do not identify as as men because uh, they love to kind of be like that fly on the wall. So, the Great Man Within podcast uh, for for those who identify as men, the Facebook group for for men and those who identify. Uh, is called the great man within Facebook group. We've got a community. It's, I think it's around 500, uh, 500 individuals right now. And the last place I would point you to is my Instagram um, handle is at Dominic Q, which is where, you know, I'm, I'm posting pretty much regularly on a daily basis, just nuggets of wisdom, you know, little short snippets that, you know, Jake and I talked about today. So the great man within podcast, the great man within Facebook group and at Dominic Q on Instagram.
1: Boom. And I cannot recommend your podcast enough. Uh, Thank you so much, Dominic. Thank you, brother. Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Dominic Cortuccio. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And I highly recommend checking out Dominic's work in his podcast. If you found that episode intriguing as I did, The Great Man Within is his podcast. And just check out everything he's up to in the world because it is some pretty powerful stuff. Last but not least, if you were picking up what I'm putting down, it would mean so much to me if you could leave uh, or take 30 seconds and leave a quick review on iTunes so more people can find the show. Again, thanks so much for tuning in, and until next time, peace and love.